a pat on the back or a squeeze of a hand. In times of joy or sadness, it's often our first instinct to reach out and touch someone. Touch is one of our most underestimated senses, says social neuroscientist Professor Michael Bannessy. Physical connection helps forge strong social ties and improves mental health. A hug might even conquer the common cold. And while touch has also been used in inappropriate ways and consent is critical, Michael makes the case for rethinking the role it plays in our lives. His new book is called When We Touch, Handshakes, Hugs, High Fives and the New Science Behind Why Touch Matters. Hi, Michael. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me on. Nice to talk to you. You've got a sign on the door of your lab at the University of Bristol that says, Scientists Who Stroke. Um, can, can you let us in on what you do in your lab and, and why you chose touch to focus on? Yeah, absolutely. So, so my lab, I mean, we're, we're, we're really interested in how people form, build and maintain social relationships with those, those around us. And touch is actually one of our most important um, signals, I suppose, to, to form relationships, to, to build them, to maintain them throughout our lives, you know, right from birth right the way through to our very last moments. Touch is a sense that's with us, and it's a really important part of our, our bonding process. And because this is 2023, we should be transparent about the fact that there is bad touching too, and that's something that you are keen to sort of clear up, that of course all your research involves appropriate consensual touching. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the work that, that we're looking at are those, I suppose, those supportive touches that, that people people find in their lives. And a lot of our work will will focus on things like kind of somebody, you know, gently caressing somebody's arm, but it's it's typically someone that will have an emotional bond with, like a partner. So it's welcome and appropriate. Or we study things like hugging, um, again, which for um, a number of people is appropriate in many settings. So we, we focus on those kind of everyday tactile interactions that, um, you know, carry that kind of social social significance, if you see what I mean. Yeah. COVID lockdowns were dark days for touching. <laughs> In fact, the very day the US had its first confirmed case of COVID, you released the results of a massive global study on touch. What was that all about? Yeah, so effectively, we we launched this this survey, which um, we've planned it for for many months. Um, obviously, it was in 2019 we were planning it and building it, but we we had no idea really that COVID was coming, um, and some people. Well, after we launched it, said it may have been one of the mistimed, most mistimed scientific surveys ever carried out. But actually, it was it was wonderfully insightful, to be fair, because we managed to collect data very early on in 2020. So January, February time, just as maybe COVID was emerging and we weren't all too aware of, of the significance. And then also throughout some of the pandemic lockdowns that, that took place. And it involved 40,000 people from 112 different countries worldwide. And we got to ask a range of questions about what touch means in the modern world. So, you know, how important touch is to people. We we found out about how people actually were tending to mistouch and actually felt they weren't getting enough touch in their life. And actually in our in our study, it was around about 54% of people that said they didn't get enough touch in their lives. That compared to about 4% that said they got too much. And you might think that was pandemic related, but we saw this very early on. And in fact, Data that came in as the pandemic went on showed that more than 80% of people were saying they missed touch. They didn't have enough touch in their lives. And even now, those numbers are still in the high 60%. So 
there is clearly this component of touch in our world at the moment where people are desiring maybe more than they're getting. And we call this touch hunger. And the impacts of this are quite profound. It can have negative impacts on how lonely people feel. So people who are more touch hungry tend to feel more lonely. It can impact their mental health, their stress levels, uh, their anxiety. So it's quite a concerning trend that we're seeing in society today that people really feel they're lacking this sense of tactile connection. Important again to acknowledge the um, the positive aspects of greater awareness around consent and consensual touching. Um, but is there also something going on here that the um, concerns about consent or, or being overly concerned about um, whether your touch will be welcome is <laughs> stopping touch that might otherwise take place that people might enjoy? Yeah, I mean, one of the one of the main reasons in our in our study that people said that they felt that people were touching less these days. One of the concerns was, I suppose, it was a a, a concern around the nuances of touch. And and like you say, I mean, I think it's it's really important and it, it's good that we become much more aware of the the individual differences that exist between us. You know, you know, a hug to one person may be welcome to somebody else. It may be a very different meaning. You know, when we touch people, we bring our past experiences, our present and our futures to that. Um, and I think it is a good thing we're more aware of that. But it is true that a lot of people say, you know, they're now more concerned about how to touch other people. Um, and I think this is something which we try to go at in a bit more length and detail in the book, talking about some of those individual differences that might play a role in impacting how we do or don't touch others. Yeah, we all have uh, different tastes in food. Do we each have different touch personalities too? Yeah, it appears so. I mean, I think and I think a lot of us might anecdotally be able to think about, you know, maybe the hugger, that person who's always uh, looking to to kind of mm. be quite touchy feely versus maybe someone who's more avoidant. And, and one of the most important things, actually, when it comes to our individual differences in touch are things like our personality types. So people who are more extroverted tend to be more open and have positive attitudes towards touch. Um, but then there's also the role of attachment and attachment forms quite early on we all have different attachment styles some of us might you know be more independent from our partners um whereas others might seek reassurance more um and actually we saw during the covid lockdowns that those who uh were more impacted by having less touch in their lives tended to be those that you know were more what we call anxious attachment or had a higher anxious attachment style they they tended to be those who maybe seek reassurance more from their partners and seek physical intimacy and closeness whereas those who were more avoidantly attached um those that maybe are preferred to be a bit more independent from their partners saw less of a negative impact um, that's not to say that people who are avoidantly attached don't benefit from touch, though, because there are studies out there showing that if you get the amount of touch right, so if you tailor it so that person is getting just the right amount, they can still see benefits on things like their health and their well-being, uh, even if they are, you know, maybe kind of less likely to uh, be keen on, you know, physical closeness as someone who's more anxiously attached. We talked, I think, last week on the show about people who were in relationships but were lonely. It's kind of a sad concept, and, and that touch hunger is quite sad as well, isn't it? The idea that you might need and want more hunger than you're getting. 
Yeah, it's it's a really sad situation where you've got people who really, you know, are feeling that they they don't have the amount of touch in their life that they desire. Um, and, you know, I actually, you know, in writing the book, I came across people who would say to me, well, actually, their only experience of touch would be if they went to the hairdresser, for instance, and had yeah. that person touching, touching their hair for a haircut. And that was one of the things they look forward to, because that gave them that physical experience. Huh. And that's a really, I think, quite a sad situation and, and a, a sad state of affairs, especially because we know touch can be really positive on health and well-being. You, you mentioned at the start, you know, things like people that have more regular hugs, that can be uh, stress buffering. It can uh, do that. I mean, hand holding can have a similar effect. Um, and so increasingly now there are researchers and organizations and companies they're trying to find ways that we can bring touch into the lives of people who maybe lack it um and some of these things are called touch substitutes so some people are turning to technology so they're looking at things like you know things like robotic pets mm-hmm. that they can stroke and interact with um but other are slightly more natural things like you know even something as simple as uh taking up gardening or something like this because gardening involves physical touching right so you're kind of planting weeding pruning you're getting that feel of the earth and that in a way is a sense in which touch can connect you with your environment Mm. um but also if people do things like join a community garden or you know start one in their neighborhood etc um then these types of things also offer ways to then just interact with others and that may also be beneficial to things like loneliness as you allude to yeah are you are you only interested or mostly interested in human to human touch are you interested in touching other things and, and the benefits and um and questions around that yeah, no, absolutely. We're interested in, in touch in all different areas. And actually, I mean, one of the things that we, we are particularly interested in is how touch can ground us. Um, and that doesn't necessarily need to be two people touching one another, right? I mean, that could be physically planting your feet on the floor or just holding an object that can um, help to ground you by focusing on that experience itself to bring you back to the present moment and calm your mind somewhat. I mean, we tend to think about things like mindfulness and things like this in the context of meditation. And we know that can be beneficial to health and well-being. But mindfulness is very much just about being aware of yourself and your body in that moment. And so touch is a really important cue to help us to be mindful of our situations around us. I'm talking to Professor Michael Bannessy. His new book is called When We Touch, Handshakes, Hugs, High Fives, and the New Science Behind Why Touch Matters. I mentioned this earlier. Is it true that those who touch more or touch better may catch a cold less often or or less severely? (laughs) Yeah, so so there was a really uh, a really nice study. I say nice. So if you're a participant, it might not have been too nice. But um, <laughs> it was a study in the in the mid 2010s conducted in the Pittsburgh area of the US. And basically, these researchers um, they tracked how often people hugged for two weeks, and then they brought the people into the lab and they exposed them to a cold or to a virus, and then they just quarantined the people and saw they monitored how did the virus develop. And what they found was that the people who hugged more often for two weeks prior to exposure to the virus 
were less likely to develop the symptoms. Um, you know, in other words, you know, hugging <laughs> offered some kind of buffer um, against against the illness developing. And you know, I need to be really clear here: it wasn't that these people were hugging more after they got sick, because of course, if you get sick and you start hugging, then there's a good chance you might pass that on, right? But it was mm. all about the hugs in the build-up. Um, and the reason for this was because hugs offer a kind of sense of social support you know they they give us a signal that you know somebody maybe cares for us and we know in general that when we get those socially supportive signals this can be beneficial to both our mental and our physical health um but there was also something connected when it comes to touch actually to some of the physical attributes that touch brings as well because other types of touch um, for instance if someone slowly and gently strokes your arm this has been connected to the release of hormones which are involved in bringing our body back to balance and de-stressing us um, and so this is one way in which touch can have a kind of physiological impact on our, our nervous system that may also provide some benefits for health and well-being that we don't often stop and think about when maybe we're having a hug or when someone's gently stroking our arm we might think that feels good but how often do we stop and think hey maybe that's helping me in in ways more than just the sensation itself give us some training then doctor what is the optimal frequency and length of a hug ah well <laughs> that's a million dollar question i think um there's there's actually strangely a lack of research on this there's there's some studies that have shown that um you know if you hug for one second that's too short um people find that a bit too too brief and they find that a bit uncomfortable um our own research has found that five to ten seconds is a pretty good length of time uh where you can see benefits on things like how positive people feel afterwards um, and I should, of course, note these are hugs that people are welcoming in the first place. Um, but what I don't know of yet, and it's just simply because research hasn't really looked at it, is how long is a too long hug, right? Because I think most of us could imagine if someone's just there holding us for, for ages <laughs> and not letting go, that might start to be a problem, right? So just because five to ten is looking good, that doesn't mean that keep it going and it's going to get better. So we need a bit more research on that. And we also need to see how the relationship between durations of hugs and some of those benefits play out but really the key message is it's about tailoring it for the person you're interacting with right because what the data has shown is that when people find hugs supportive and socially supportive then it can carry benefits so for you maybe five seconds is good for me maybe it's 10 seconds for somebody else it might not be a hug at all it might be a high five or a fist bump it might be something very different um but the key is showing that kind of social support through touch uh, COVID made us very aware of what we were touching. In fact, a study at Auckland University showed that we touch our faces more than 50 times an hour. Why do we do that? Yeah, I mean, it's a really intriguing question, right? And I think um, I also found out recently about another study that apparently when people shake hands, we tend to move our, our hands closer to our faces afterwards without even realising. So I think we have a tendency of, of, of bringing, bringing these um, our kind of hands to our face often yeah more than we're aware of i suppose even post covid um you know one of the reasons why people think we self touch is actually it is a way to for some people it can it can ground us it can actually help to to calm us um it can help us to regain focus um but exactly the precise reasons why we go particularly to the face region that's something that researchers now need to unpack by the way can you shortcut the system and give yourself a hug does that help Ah, yeah. So this is a really important um, 
new finding actually that started to come out from research. So um, it turns out that, yeah, if you, at least with stress, at least with stress responses, benefits from self-hugging can actually be almost similar to uh, benefits of being hugged by somebody else. So there was a really neat study that um, basically compared a situation where people they had to do mental maths out loud and give a talk in public, which, you know, maybe that's not too stressful for some people, but mm-hmm. for me, that'd be pretty, pretty scary. Um, and basically before this, people were either hugged by someone who they cared about. They were told to engage in self-soothing touch. So this could be a self-hug, but it could also be stroking their own arm, for instance, or they had no touch at all. And what the researchers measured was this, the self-reported stress during the talk, um, but also measures of cortisol. So cortisol is a hormone involved in stress release. Um, and what they found was that people who hugged hugs from somebody else or engaged in self-soothing touch like a self-hug they had lower levels of cortisol um, during that stressful event so in essence both self-touch and um, caring touch or supportive touch from somebody else carried these benefits Um, sadly we should talk about touch deprivation this is something much tougher than tough uh, much tougher than touch hunger Um, and i'm thinking of those horrifying images of babies in romanian orphanages uh, orphanages left in cribs with no comfort. Do we know what impact that had on them or what sort of impact that experience can have on a human? Yeah, so so touch deprivation, yeah, these really extreme cases um, where people just really don't experience any touch in their lives, um, and particularly, I mean, the case of the Rome, Romanian orphanages that you talk about were very early on in life. These These children were sadly left to... Um, care of the state but there was actually a kind of population explosion at the time so they couldn't be thoroughly cared for and there were a number who really had very little social interaction or touch at all and the impacts of this were very negative I mean it, it impacted not only early on in development but carried on to have lasting impacts years later in terms of things like cognitive development so you know how different kind of uh, mental skills developed and also social interaction skills as well um well, this has also been seen in other animals, actually. So there's also some really kind of sad studies that were done in um, monkeys, so non-human primates, um, who are, you know, these go back to the kind of 1950s um, where they were separated from their, their mothers um, at birth and they were either kind of brought up in a, in a cage with a, a surrogate mother that was made of wood and wire or a surrogate mother that was made of a kind of wood and a piece of cloth. Um, and... You know, in those types of scenarios, you know, even that very short amount of a cloth mother, that mm. subtle tactile feedback made a real difference in terms of things like eating behaviors and social behaviors that these monkeys displayed. Um, although, of course, they were still impoverished because they didn't actually have a physical mother to interact with. So there are these really sad and harrowing examples, and, and thankfully they are rare. Um, but they do show us just how vital touch is um, in our earliest moments to how we build relationships, both with those around us as we grow, but how those have impacts on other aspects of our development. Your research has got some useful tips for waiters and waitresses who might be listening, how they can uh, increase their bottom line with touch. Yeah, so there's this really um, fascinating literature that comes from, I suppose, it's social and organizational psychology back from about the 1970s onwards that has shown that if um, waiters or waitresses, um, waiting staff, if they 
if they touch someone very briefly and of course appropriately it's got to be very subtle and appropriate when they give the person the bill um those that do that see an increase in the amount of tips they get. Um, so from the top of my head, you know, in, in one of the studies, they found that, you know, if there was no touch, there was around about a 12% tip. But if there was, um, you know, touch on the shoulder, it was about 14%. But if it was a gentle touch on, on the hand or the wrist, it was more like 16, 17% in tips. So it kept going up gradually depending on, on the type of touch and the style. So, and that's not only been seen in the 1970s, um, it's actually been seen across different decades now and in different regions. So the original work was in the US, but there's been studies in France that have shown something similar. Um, and in fact, also in France, there's another example whereby people wanted to try and get a free bus ride. So in this particular study, um, people got on a bus, but they didn't have enough money <laughs> to pay for the trip. Um, and they they briefly touched the bus driver while asking for the free ride. <laughs> and those that touched the bus driver were more likely to get the free ride. They were more likely to get a, a free ride. And, and, and this is, again, it's not just seen for bus drivers. It's seen in all different settings. Even if someone was to, I don't know, ask you, while you're on the street to just look after their dog while they popped into a shop, mm. you're more likely to do it if they touch you when they make that request than if they don't. Mm -hmm. So it's a pretty powerful but subtle effect the touch can have without us even thinking about it. Yeah. I'm a toucher and I tend to, you know, touch people that I know. People like me are a bit out of fashion these days or going out of fashion. What is your advice around touching at work, for example, patting someone on the back or otherwise touching someone on their arm, male or female, um, in a friendly way when you're talking to them, stay right away or have that awkward conversation about it or just kind of treat every occasion on its merits? Yeah, I mean, I guess there's there's different ways to think about that. I mean, above all else, I think we have to respect personal boundaries, right? And, you know, every, every individual is going to have different space and, and kind of boundaries and thoughts when it comes to touch mm. and comfort about it. So we have to be really mindful of that. Um, you know, of course... Different companies and organizations will also have different norms and different policies. Um, some will be okay with touch. Some very much won't be. You've got to think about that. But I, I kind of think there are sometimes some behaviors that we we might be we might be open to, whether that's a handshake. Or, I mean, or if you've got a scenario, I don't know, where you've got a colleague who's really upset in front of you, is it appropriate? I don't know to just kind of pat them on the back or put up put a, put a supportive hand on the, on their shoulder. I think these are the types of scenarios that people sometimes maybe struggle with. And of course, if that is appropriate in in your workplace, then I think some of the things we do want to keep in mind are. One, being aware that there will be differences. And so we don't want to map our preferences onto somebody else. So just because we'd find a touch on the arm supportive doesn't necessarily mean they will. Um, I think we want to pay attention to certain cues. So there can also be kind of body language or nonverbal cues. People can appeal uncomfortable or maybe withdraw when you approach them. So you want to think about it that way. Mm. Um and of course, also be mindful of cultural norms, um, because different cultures will have varying attitudes towards it. So for some people, they'll be expecting it for others, they won't. And one of the ways I think we can really try to understand that is actually building a scenario where we maybe feel a bit more comfortable talking about differences in touch. And, you know, actually thinking about the idea that, you know, if we discuss our differences more, then we're more likely to actually understand, you know, how to approach one another, because if we ignore those differences, they're going to grow. And also simply speaking up about our own preferences and modeling that towards others, that might actually encourage others to do the same and help us to understand one another. Um, so there's a whole range of different features that kick into this. It's, it's a really 
delicate balance, particularly in the workplace, because that suddenly adds a layer of context that I think um, makes us, you know, be very even more cautious about touch. And and rightly so, I think, given some of the concerns that have been raised in recent years about where touch has been used inappropriately in workplace settings. Yeah. Mind you, it would be a shame to lose it completely. Research shows that teams who touch work better, right? Basketball teams, at least. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think and I think that is the balance we've got to strike because there is data showing that, you know, touches there's there's work in the NBA, um, as you alluded to, that has shown that teams that touch more in the preseason, they tend to go on to win more games and perform better. Um, there's also work showing that touch is really important in building trust and rapport between individuals. Um and in some cases, touch is a preferred nonverbal cue for us compared to other mm. signals that we use. Um, so, for instance, to express sympathy, um, it's also very important in expressing gratitude. And we know gratitude can be really important in work, um, you know, showing appreciation for someone. But of course, the important thing in all of that is that that touch has to be considered appropriate and supportive by the person. So, you know, if I'm trying to show my appreciation for you by you know, patting you on the back, but that's OK if you and I agree that's an appropriate thing to do. But if you find that uncomfortable, then I'm probably not going to be showing you appreciation, right? I'm probably going to be showing to you that I'm not thinking about your individual needs and your desires. And so there's a balance to be struck. Um, it's a very delicate one and one that really does need a lot more kind of, I think, research and also interactions between workplace organizations um, and, and, and to a degree, researchers um, trying to think about the best ways that we can tailor this. So we keep those best bits of touch while also being mindful of the risks that it can cause. Great work. The book's called When We Touch, Handshakes, Hugs, High Fives and the New Science Behind Why Touch Matters. I've been talking to Professor Michael Bannersey. Michael, thanks so much for your time, your hard work on this. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure to talk to you.